Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. Betonline.ag, where the game starts. Welcome to another episode of the Believe in OK State podcast. I am Megan Robinson, joined, of course, by Justin Southwell and Eve Batoba. And earlier today or yesterday, guys, I was like, what are we going to talk about this week? And then all of a sudden the news broke that we got a new D.C. Brian Nardo comes to Stillwater after one season at Division II Gannon University, which I will admit I had not heard of until now. Guys, what what are your thoughts on this new announcement? Well, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm a fan for now. Just uh, I've heard a lot of positive things about him uh, that I've seen online and, you know, reading up on his coaching history. I love the clip that I found on Twitter where he's talking about if a kid can't spell cat and you yell at him, he still can't spell cat. So you got to figure out how to be a good teacher. Like, I love that. We need some of that for sure. Um, I'd say the only negative things that I've read about him have just been from salty OSU fans who probably believed that Jim Knowles was coming back uh, or maybe thought that we were going to get another big time defensive coordinator name out of nowhere. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's an underwhelming hire on the surface because of the fact that we're OSU and we've built up this brand and we're going down and getting coaches from the lower ranks. And Meg, like you asked, on the last podcast, how coveted of a role is the defensive coordinator position at Oklahoma state? And I mean, are there any other division one coaches that are putting their name in the hat for this position? Like, I don't know, but uh, all that to say, we're going to find out really soon if he can coach, if he can recruit. So until it doesn't work out with Nardo, like I'm, I'm going to be a fan of the hire. Yeah, I think what's interesting is fans on Twitter specifically can speculate. They can come up with as many rumors as they want. Jim Knowles is coming back. But what you tend to find is conversations that happen in real life tend to be way different than the conversations that you see on Twitter. So you talk about, you know, recruiting and everything. He's had uh, experience recruiting in the state of Oklahoma. Me personally, I think this is a great Higher, right? You talk about hey, hiring people from these ranks and these schools that nobody's heard of. Same thing that happened with you know Mike Yersich. You know, we, we hired him, nobody knew who he was, and now here he is coaching at you know Penn State and, and, and doing a great job. Did a great job whenever he was at Oklahoma State. I was one of the few people that actually really, really liked Mike Yersich, but you know, what can you do? So I think it's gonna be another similar situation here with uh, Brian Nardo as far as me really, really liking him. There's not much that you can actually tell from his one season, um, you know, over at uh, what was it Gannon University, right? Like, what can you actually 
judge from that. He improved their scoring defense, their yards per play allowed, their rush defense, and their pass defense and total defense from the from the year prior. But he didn't have his own recruits really as upperclassmen. There's only so much that you can do. But to see the improvement that took place, I think that there's a lot to say about that. Now, I tried to find some film on Gannon University, like just few and far between. I don't even know what to make of it. I don't know the competition that they're going against. I don't know what their recruiting ranks were in D2. Like, I have no idea. So it's hard to judge. But according to Bruce Fieldman of The Athletic and at Fox, he said, he shot out a tweet. He said, the scouting report on you, OK State, D.C., Brian Nordo, according to someone who has coached with him, is that he's a football junkie. He's super smart. He knows the game in and out, and he runs the Iowa State-style defense. Okay, He eats, sleeps, and he breathes it. I like having a younger guy coming into the program who has something to prove. He wants to prove that he belongs in the Big 12 Conference. He belongs in the big leagues. So I love the fact that we get somebody who you know seemingly is hungry and really wants to do this. So interestingly enough, Iowa State's defensive coordinator, John Haycock, uh, he was a D.C. over at Youngstown State and the head coach over there at uh, from 01 to 09. So you re- you can really see where the influence is. And I'm actually really glad that Iowa State is the school that they're choosing to mirror, because I don't know if y'all have noticed, like since 2017, over the past five seasons, they have been the most consistently good defense in the Big 12 Conference. Right. Yeah. They never finished outside of the top three ever since 2017. So it's good to see somebody who wants to mirror that style of defense. But he's like Gundy really likes that type of defense coming over to Oklahoma State. Well, I'll say that that's like the comparison that really piqued my interest because like the last episode, I think I mentioned, I'd love to get somebody from the Haycock tree, but I don't know if I can really put that much stock into like he's part of that tree because like there's a pretty big gap between 09 and 2020. That's sort of like saying like Jim Knowles was part of the Bill Young coaching tree. I don't know how much is really there, but if he is going to bring in that similar style of defense, uh, they run the three, three, five. I think that that is great for our personnel, especially heading into this next season, knowing that we're going to have a little bit of a depth issue on the D line. So I think that that helps plays a big part and we we do play to the strengths as far as like having those safeties that extra safety in there uh, yeah. and I, I love the fact that he's closely been involved with coaching linebackers throughout his career it seems like he's pretty passionate about that so to see the development over this next year for guys like Xavier Benson who is we're seeing him kind of being the leader off the field I'd love to see him elevate his game to the next level level to be the defensive leader on the field as well so with the, the Nardo hiring, the other aspect of this is that Joe Bob Clements is a co-defensive coordinator and Tim Duffy, the passing game coordinator. So they will have each other to lean on, which I also think is kind of an interesting move that um, they're co. And I think a lot of people in the Oklahoma State world thought this is Joe Bob's job to lose, essentially. So what do you guys make of this co-defensive coordinator situation that we're going to have entering next season? You know, I don't know um, how different – so organizations are just different in the fact that some really love the titles and the kind of that stepping ladder, the corporate ladder of success type of thing. And I think what we're starting to see in college football is a very big emphasis on teamwork, that group aspect of getting things done, the fact that Alabama has – 
almost a two to one ratio for players to coaches and their analysts that are on the team. And yeah, there is somebody that's named like the defensive coordinator, but it's a major group effort that goes into that. And I think that maybe we're kind of relying on that a little bit um, as far as what it looks like being a co coordinator. Um, we've seen like TCU, I think had, they had a co coordinator this last year and obviously they had really good success with that. So I think that that's maybe the shift for what we're starting to see is the norm in, in college football. Yeah, it's almost as if it's defensive coordinated by committee almost, right? But what what I like is um, it, it's actually not that uncommon. I think on offense, you've seen run game coordinator, pass game coordinator, and offensive coordinator all being on the offensive side of the football. I know whenever I was in the NFL, it wasn't uncommon to see a pass pass game defensive coordinator as well as a defensive coordinator on there right but what i like is that joe bob clements as well as tim duffy were there whenever jim Knowles was there whenever we were the best defense in the big 12 conference for two years in a row and you take that experience and them being able to coach their position groups i'm talking about position groups on 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 the front seven as well as on the back end and you mix that with the coaching experience of an individual that has actually been a defensive coordinator and understands situational football, um, different schemes, different play styles, and can blend it all together, work together in order to make this thing work. There's also like a level of accountability, right? Because if you break it down by run game coordinator, pass game coordinator, you can find out real quickly, like who is getting the job done versus who's not doing so great. So I think that there's just multiple levels to it at this point, but, uh, yeah, it is. I I think it is interesting though that Joe Bob wasn't promoted to be the DC. Uh, it seemed like he could have been last year, whenever Knowles was, had left for Ohio State, uh, and then we brought in Derek Mason, and it was kind of like, well, you know, maybe yeah. he just needs another year under Derek Mason, and then we'll go from there. And I don't know. Maybe the fact that we had such a, a major drop off from Knowles to Derek Mason. Maybe that's why he wasn't promoted. Uh, we we ended up being ranked 115th in total defense last year. So do you want to do you want to go with an internal inside hire at that point, or but do you want to look out? Coordinator, is that his fault? Well, I, I I would say that he's actually now finally being put on track to you know, if that situation ever comes open again, he could be the defensive coordinator, but actually by actually giving him more responsibility. Like there are so many different responsibilities whenever you're a position coach versus being a, a coordinator, right? Like all the different parts that you actually have to look at, even all the way to how you're actually coaching, people coming off the sideline, talking to your players versus not talking to your players, being in the booth versus being on the sideline. So many different things to look at. So if you're not being primed and groomed for that, like I can see where they might be some apprehension. But the fact that he actually got promoted to the co-defensive coordinator, I think that's a good sign for him as well as Coach Tim Duffy. Or Tim Duffy. What, I mean, going back to what you guys have said earlier about um, Bruce Feldman's comments on him and people speaking very highly of him, I also saw a tweet from Jacob Unruh, which he heard from a Nardo source, that he's an unbelievable human being, unbelievable coach, which is very positive and to Justin's point, let's be fans until we have reasons to not be. Let's let's be those optimistic Cowboys fans. Yeah, However, I'm completely optimistic right now. <laughs> I love it. I love he it. could be a diamond in the rough. We don't know. My biggest surprise in this, and I'm not knocking, D I mean, I'm a D3 lacrosse player, so obviously D2 and D3 have a special place in my heart, but 
to go from Gannon University, which I had never heard of until today, and then for Gundy to find you and, and pluck you, going from college football to the NFL is a very different game. What are the differences between going D2, D3, D1, or D1, D2, D3? Yeah, I think the biggest difference is the level of talent and understanding how to utilize uh, your personnel. Like you have to know the speed difference. You have to know, hey, what is it that this player does really well and how can I actually use him as a chess piece within this chessboard, right? Like the biggest thing here, and Justin, you mentioned 3-3-5. Three, three, well, I mean, what's interesting about this, they're not even like a traditional 3-3-5, three, three, right? I think um, in the coaching realms, they're calling this style of defense a 3-3-3, three, 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 right? So you have your corners, of course, on the outside, but um, the reason why is because you don't even use your traditional – um, your, your, your stacked linebackers are rotated a lot differently than you would in a regular 3-3-5. So it's essentially like odd dime package with three safeties, like you mentioned earlier. So this was created specifically to kill their air raid offense, the, the offenses that you see within the Big 12 Conference. So it's able, you're able to get into a 3-4 without any substitution with this type of uh, with this type of defense. And you're able to utilize a lot of different types of stunts and blitzes. And I love this defense because oftentimes it gives the illusion that there's a light box. I think whenever you look at Iowa State's film, it'll look like there's maybe one or two linebackers that are in the box, which if I'm an offensive coordinator, I'll say, oh, yeah, I want to run against that, not knowing that what they're actually doing is trying to spill the runner to go to the outside to where that star linebacker or that star safety as well as the outside linebackers would be able to, to actually come in and, and help out against the against the run, right? So what, what I love about this is I mentioned the personnel. So imagine Kendall Daniels, right, him being lined up behind the linebackers and in between the two uh, wide safeties. And then from that position, he can rob any crossing routes across the middle. And in the run game, the defensive linemen and the linebackers would protect him from blockers in the box and free him up to pursue the edge against any type of outside run. So the middle linebacker has to know which inside uh, gap to plug up against like that wide eight man coverage and light boxes. So you take a guy like Justin Wright, who was transferring in from Tulsa, a guy who had, I don't know if he had a hundred yards or close to a hundred yards, but he's going to be a pivotal piece in this offense. Justin, you mentioned Xavier Benson, those stand-up linebackers who are going to be those people who are going to be seeing, you know, four men in the box, but they're, they're, um, it looks like there's four men in the box, but they're responsible for those outside runs and those spills, right? And then you take a guy like Tyler Lacey, right? So probably the most important person on defensive line is going to be that weak side edge that plays a heavy five technique. And then the linebacker away from the back is playing the C gap from depth. So the linebacker on the side of, of, of the running back in the RPO window, so you're thinking about Brock Martin, you're thinking about Colin Oliver, who – you know, both of those guys are studs, right? Yeah. And and they'll be able to come in and actually play that RPO window. But if you don't want them to be in that fit, what you can do then is you have that star, that safety as a quarterback player. There are so many different schemes, so many different things that you can do. So uh, back to your question, Megan, uh, whenever you talk about, hey, what's the biggest difference? Hey, Kendall Daniels, Ladarius Webb Jr., how are they going to use him? Is he going to be somebody who can rotate within the actual defensive backfield, or are they going to want him to play really aggressively against short breaking route, outbreaking routes and short coverages? And then you have Xavier Benson and Justin Wright, who because he has the experience as a linebacker coach, these are guys who possibly could really, really thrive in this style of defense. So I get passionate whenever I talk about this type of stuff because, man, like 
if we're bringing that type of defense to Oklahoma State, hey, we might get back to close to what we were doing whenever Jim Knowles was there. Well, here's the thing, Eve. Like everything that you just mentioned is football, and it doesn't matter what level you're playing it at. It can be Division One. It can be Division Two, Division Three. It can be high school football. It can be the NFL. Football is football, and that is a beautiful thing. And I think there can be a lot that can be said about the fact that he improved their defense so much last year. And that just that's just a testament to how well he knows football, how well he can coach to be able to do that in that short period of time. To be able to, like, we, I think we already mentioned the stats, but he improved from 393.3 total yards to 287.4 and then as far as points per game they improved from 28.3 to 21.9 and more importantly more than anything the team record improved from five and six to eight and three so we we're you know we have a, a long way to go i think from being 115th like i mentioned in total defense last year with Derek mason but you know Get off your high horse if you're talking about he's only ranked 24th in total defense at this level. Like it's football, and and with all due respect, these are guys that played at Gannon University. Like, and I, I I seriously mean that with all due respect because if you can play college football at any level, I know what it takes to play college football at any level, and there's mad respect there. But the difference is the athletes at Oklahoma State. And if he's able to marry, mesh those X's and O's with the Jimmys and Joes, yeah. I think we're in for a good treat. And I just want to I just want to mention, like, whenever you bring up all those different numbers, I know the saying is men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie, but numbers can be extremely misleading because you talk about a team that went eight and three. If you're blowing a team out and you're pulling all the starters and you're bringing the second string guys or third string guys to go in and play, those are going to inflate the defensive numbers. Okay, so I still like I said, I don't know where to find this game film of Gannon Gannon University. I don't know what situationally they were in. Like, hey, were they blowing teams out at halftime? What was it looking like in the fourth quarter? But I just want to like keep some real perspective there that a lot of times these numbers are skewed depending on how the game was actually going. Is there something to be said to you're talking about numbers and tape? Obviously, you watch tape of your opponents to learn their playing style, to figure out how you're going to attack them the following week. Watching a coach and how their defensive their defense schemes, how they play, the, their, their tendencies on offense or defense, is there an advantage to having someone coming from the D2 ranks where you can't – I mean, Eve, you did a very quick search. I'm sure the game tape exists – but it's it's not as readily available, and other coaches in the in the Big Twelve are not as familiar with how he coaches, or is he a more aggressive coach where he's going to call more blitzes? Is he like is there an advantage to that possibility? Hey, I like to think so. Maybe he's like kind of like the the backup quarterback on the <laughs> defensive side, right? We always struggle against the backup quarterbacks because we haven't seen enough film on them. And maybe it's the same case on the defensive side where he can scheme up a few things to confuse the offense, confuse the opposing quarterback and, uh, you know, knock them off their game a little bit. I like that. Well, if there's one thing that I know about coaches at the college level and at the NFL level is that they could all be FBI agents. I'm talking about they're going to find a way to get the film on everything that this guy has done. So, you know, somehow, some way they're going to get that on there. But, you know, I think to that same point, though, um, 
there's there's a lot of room for creativity. I keep thinking about Mike Yersich whenever nobody knew who he was and he came to Oklahoma State. It's not like he ran the exact same scheme that he had at, you know, Youngstown or wherever he was. It's him being able to come in and say, okay, I see what Oklahoma State has done in the past. I see what has been successful in the Big 12 Conference. Well, let me put in a little wrinkle here of more RPOs, maybe more than I've ever done in the past. Oh, how about a cowboy back? Hey, how about the triangle formation here? Let's use some offset eye and block on the opposite side. Oh, how about this type of uh, inside run where we wham with the you know with the left guard you know like all these things are able to you know to be wrinkled so um i i do like that point that you bring up megan i think that it definitely could be like you know a ninja style attack where people just don't see it coming and here comes nardog you know nardog <laughs> coming up and just ah getting it done i love it it's no secret that we faced several offensive struggles this year after week six it kind of just went all downhill what is the possibility or how can having a new defense and improved defense help the offense get better yeah i mean it's a big 12 conference right and because it's the big 12 conference we know that whenever another team's offense is on the field you're liable to put up some points so whenever you have a, a good defense that can um you know get your offense back on the on, on the field all it does is allows you to score more points and um you know prevent the you know the, the, the shootouts and that's the biggest thing you would hope for in the Big 12. Like, hey, the more that you can limit shootouts, the better of a chance that you actually have to win. Yeah, I like that. Um, especially on third down. If we can get off the field on third down, uh, make sure that that percentage is good. Turnovers are welcome. <laughs> it seems like it's been a while since we've had uh, a lot of turnovers. Um, but the defense – uh, they're going to have to elevate their game. And if if anybody's able to elevate their game, it just helps everybody else around them. So practice reps, uh, speed of the game, all of that's going to be elevated. And and the offense, being able to see these new looks against this 3-3-5 type defense, it might just lend itself to help us in situations where maybe we struggled against Iowa State in the past, and now we have a better understanding of how to attack the defense. And uh, I can playing a, a big role uh, in the future for that the only thing that concerns me is the defensive tackle position right I'm, i i know some guys transferred out and i don't know who's going to be starting in those roles this year but in this style of defense you need bodies like mm -hmm. you gotta have some guys who you know weigh 320 pounds right like guys who can really be the anchor up front to make everything else work because if that doesn't work then you know, Nardog is going to have to get real creative with how he calls these plays and, and these stunts and these blitzes because there's no Vincent Taylor walking through that door. Y'all <laughs> you know, know about VT. VT was that guy. Emmanuel Ogba sure. was that guy on the edge. So, hey, let's, let's hope that Tyler Lacey can fill that role. Let's hope that Colin Oliver can fill that role. But I just don't know who that nose tackle is. Like, I, I honestly have no clue. So that's going to be a pivotal piece. And that's and we're going to kind of circling back around to what we were talking about earlier. Like that's the difference in, in football, like football is football until it's yeah. Something like size, for example, something yeah. like speed. All right. And you could argue like, yeah, division one, but Georgia is playing a different level of football yeah. than all, a lot of teams. So it's a, it's a different level. Um, and yeah, we got to get guys, like you said. So I pray that this guy is a stud recruiter as well, and he's able to get his guys in like that. 
Well, isn't National Signing Day coming up too? So maybe we'll have some some surprises in the next couple of weeks. Eve, you look not. Well, I know I was just going to say, go ahead and take a page out of Deion Sanders' book. You know, whatever whatever he's out there doing in Colorado, it is working. He is Deion Sanders, people. so that helps. <sighs> he's a little bit of a resume. Basis, you know what I mean? Like, can we use Gundy's resume? Like, can we, hey, you know, big eight conferences, all-time leading passer. Like, yeah, we got to do something, man. Like, let, let, let's get – I know Deion's not doing all the work, is he? I mean, what are we doing? Let's get some guys. I mean, if you had the opportunity to play for Deion Sanders, would you take it? Because, like, Hundy P, I would take it. Yeah. Hey, I would play. I still play for Mike Gundy. Well, good for you, Justin. You know what? I believe that too, Justin. I really do. A thousand percent. (laughs) For Mike Gundy, no matter what. The definition of loyal and true when it comes to Coach Gundy. If you could go play for Bill Belichick or Mike Gundy, Justin Southwell would be like, yeah, I'm picking Mike Gundy. To each to each their own. But I think our coaching staff is pretty set. I know that there was after the season, we weren't really sure where things were going to go. So guys, we have our coaching staff set. Our roster is falling into place. The transfer portal closed last week, so we cannot lose anyone else to the portal. Thank goodness. However, for now, for now, there's another opening later on. Uh Coach Glass, Coach Glass is getting them right right now. Coach Glass is getting them bought in during this winter program. I'm telling you, this time of the season, it's not Coach Gundy's football team. It is Coach Rob Glass's football team. And he is making sure that guys get right. Rumor has it that Coach Glass doesn't even sleep. He simply <laughs> just lays in bed and waits and then gets everybody right. Okay. Coach Glass is the only person that can believe that it's not butter, okay? I'm just making sure that you know what kind of guy we're dealing with. He's going to get everybody bought in, and nobody's leaving for the transfer portal after they go through this uh, th- this workout period. Coach Glass, actually, Chuck Norris, like, Look, that's the vibe I'm getting. I think Chuck Norris fears Coach Glass. <laughs> Chuck Norris wears Coach Glass pajamas. <laughs> Dang straight. Well... Uh, last thing about the portal, we don't need to dwell on this too much, but it was a pretty big announcement last week when Spencer Sanders officially made his statement that he was going to Ole Miss, which I think shocked a lot of people because that quarterback room is pretty full. There will be a three-way competition between incumbent starter Jackson Dart and former five-star recruit Walker Howard. This is like the first quarterback competition of Spencer Sanders's career. How do you think he's going to handle that situation in Oxford? Yeah, so I know that there are some OSU fans out there who are just ready to move on from Spencer Sanders. I get it, but it's still Oklahoma State news for now, and we have to talk about it, okay? So uh, if nothing else, it will be an interesting storyline to follow throughout the season just to see if he is as good as he thinks he is. Uh, But if you're wondering why we're still concerned with Spencer Sanders, it's because – this this is like a very unique way to evaluate our team. Mm. Like if he doesn't live up to what he was at OSU, just shrug your shoulders and move on. But if he leads Ole Miss to a SEC West championship and a playoff berth and maybe has a Heisman campaign, like yeah. we might have a problem that we need to address. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, I, I don't have any problem with uh, his decision to leave. Uh, I have a little bit of confusion about how he went about it the way that he did. And I don't have any ill will toward him, but 
I don't know. Like, I'm not going to be a fan whenever he leaves. I'll, I'll follow him, but I'm not really a fan. So, like, there's definitely levels to it, right? So, he's probably somewhere in between, like, John Paul Richardson transferring to TCU and Trace Ford transferring to OU. He's probably, like, somewhere in the middle there. So, but, I mean, hey, you're not on my team anymore. Not a fan. But <laughs> I still have to follow to see – like what happens? So, I wish yeah. you could be there when OU and Texas join the SEC. So then you could be like, "Yes, I am a Spencer Sanders fan. Take down OU." But we don't even get that pleasure, so that's mm. a bummer. Hey, that's a really good point, though. Like, how is it that we can kind of measure where we are as a program, depending on what Spencer does out there? Um, that's an angle that I haven't looked at. But as we know, Spencer, he's yeah. notoriously a fierce competitor. And he's a guy who, you know, he's going into a, a quarterback room that, yeah, it's going to be a battle, but he, he seems like a guy that's not afraid of a good competition, of a good challenge, right? I, I just listened to some of his interviews talking about how much he likes the head coach, Lane Kiffin, over there. Um, he likes that the offensive system is built around play action and that the running game is going to be able to complement what he can already do well um, within the SEC, which is an incredible platform that can pro pro probably – propel him over to the next level. So that's one guy who is not short of confidence. And uh, I think that he's just really believing in his own ability to go in there, get that job and, and, and lead that, um, that team. And one thing that I can say about him because of how fierce of a competitor it is, it galvanizes the locker room. Um, I don't know what the personalities of our QBs right now um, at, Oklahoma State. Or I don't know what Alan Bowman is like. I don't know what Garrett Wrangell is like. I don't know what these guys' personalities are, Gunner Gundy. But what I do know is oftentimes the offense takes on the personality of the quarterback. So if the quarterback's got a little bit of stuff to him, you'll see that in the way that the O-line plays. You'll see that in the way that the receivers block. You'll see that in the aggression of the running backs, right? And one thing I know about Spencer, he has some stuff to him. So whenever you got that, um, I think it's easy to rally around that. And I hope that, um, you know, I wish I wish him the best. I hope that he has a great season over there. But, um, you know, like we talked about, it's it's time to move on um, as an Oklahoma State program. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we can get some QBs who can galvanize the troops as well on our on our side. So what do you think, Meg? I mean, I'm hearing from Eve that he thinks he's going to win the starting battle, like starting quarterback. What do you think? Honestly, in my head right now, all I'm thinking is, what if he doesn't? This is a huge gamble, a huge gamble that he's taking by going in because it's not like he's competing against a couple freshmen or a true freshman and a redshirt freshman. He's competing against the current starter. And you see, you see that happen all the time. You see other people come in, they steal the job. I'm not saying it's not possible. I also think that Spencer has shown potential to be a very, or not potential. He has shown that he can be a very good quarterback, but if you transfer and you don't get the starting job, that this is it. This is this. You can't transfer again. It's not. Oh, next. This is it. This is your last year. So it is a very ballsy move for him to go to a school where there is a competition and there's no guarantee that he's going to be the starter day one. It could also be the, the other scenario in all of this is that let's say he is a starter day one. Let's say he gets hurt week two, misses a game. And Dart goes and balls out and Dart regains the starting job. I mean, you kind of saw it at TCU with Duggan. It's not out of the question that that could happen there. That could happen at any school, you know, mm -hmm. like yeah. 
if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If someone's getting hot, keep them in. Well, I mean, you saw that at Alabama with Tua and Jalen Hurts. Like, that's not out of the question that he – it's a real possibility he's not starting right. then. Well, I definitely agree with that because they're, the, the talent level between – there's not that big of a gap. If, if you're a starting quarterback, you would think between two power five schools. But that being said, I still think he has a great shot to win the job. I mean, there's a belief that like if he had come back and finished his career at Oklahoma State, he'd be the best quarterback in school history and end up on the ring of honor. So if you're saying that he might not even win the starting job for a mediocre SEC team, and look at the record like hold yeah. up like what do they went like four and four in conference last year they're they're pretty mediocre uh, i mean Ole miss has made some noise they've made some national noise if not last year than the year before that but to that same point though you're talking about them going four and four in conference play with the incumbent starter jackson dart so obviously there's a lot of room for improvement there, right? So you talk about, oh, he might not get the starting job. I mean, yeah, that's very true. But you got to think he probably has some information that we don't have for him to make a decision like that. It's hard to think of a scenario where all three of those guys stay on the roster after spring ball is over, right? Like there's going to be some more information that comes out. Somebody's going to transfer and they're going to break up the band, right? You think? Matter of fact, speaking of breaking up the band, Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, and Walker Howard. Just listen to those three names. It sounds like a country concert. You know, it sounds like I'm going to see a country show. Anyway, side, side thought. But yeah, the band is going to break up at some point this season. Somebody's going to transfer out. I also would like to say that, yes, Ole Miss did go four and four in conference play. However, they were eight and five, which is a better record than Oklahoma State had last season. And uh, Ole Miss is in the SEC West. So every year they have to play Alabama, LSU, Auburn. <laughs> like they are not playing the SEC. The SEC East is the weaker side of the SEC. And I mean, yeah, they're mediocre, but I also think that SEC teams have defense. Alabama has a very good defense. Like the Big 12 is not known for impressive defenses. So for to face a more prolific defense, I think could be the interesting thing there as well. Yeah. And and don't forget the year before that, Ole Miss finished 10 and three, six and two in the conference, and they were undefeated at home. Okay. So there's something to be said for that. They're not too far removed. And you know, Spencer brings that special element of his mobility. He's probably going to be the more mobile out of those three quarterbacks in that room with the most experience as well. So, hey, to be determined. But, hey, if you think that Ole Miss is a mediocre SEC team, leave your comments in the section below. Like, I want to hear it. <laughs> I need I need my support. Come on, guys. I will, I will say, though, if anyone would like to road trip and tailgate at the Grove, that is on my bucket list because no one does a tailgate like Ole Miss. So anyone wants is that to right? The Grove has like one of the best tailgates in all of college football. Yeah, I've never been. The, the, I think the only SEC tailgate I've ever been to was Arkansas. I have not. I have not been to a, um, a tailgate at the Grove, but it is very high on my bucket list because everyone's like, it is an experience like you will never forget. Really? So, wow. That's yes. a big statement. So yeah. I've heard some stuff about like LSU's. Um, I've been to an LSU tailgate and that was very fun. I'd love to go to an LSU tailgate. I just need to go to Death Valley, period. Right. Like I yeah. heard, yeah, at night, especially. Like I heard that's one of the best atmospheres you can ever be in. It is electric. 
I need yeah. that. Yeah. Within the Big 12 Conference, I will say, well, this team's not in the Big 12 anymore. The best atmosphere that I'd ever been in uh, back whenever I was at Oklahoma State was Texas A&M. Like, they do it right down there at Kyle Field. The way that they do they don't have cheerleaders, they have yell leaders. The way that they orchestrate their chaos and they start rocking in sync and it looks like the ground is moving whenever you're down there on the field and you're looking up, you're just like, yo, what is happening here? They know how to do it right. I wish um, wish I would have had a chance to actually you know, go there another time while they were still in the Big 12 Conference, but hey, we didn't do it. We'll have to do a college football bucket list show because while I, I find the Yale leaders and and A and M very culty, I also think oh, it's culty. You're like that's just okay. That's yeah. bizarre. But I would love to go to a midnight yell. That is also on my college yeah. football. I have no desire to go to a midnight yell just because I don't think I don't know. It just seems like one of those things that black people shouldn't do in uh, <laughs> at night in 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 Southeast Texas. I don't know. It just kind of feels weird. So I wouldn't do that, but the game day atmosphere. The game itself, yes, yeah. I will. Well, so, guys, one episode. We'll do college football bucket list. Nebraska. Going to Nebraska? Nebraska's on my bucket list. That's another school that I wish that I would have actually gotten to check hey, out man. before they left the, the conference. You got to save it for that episode. Don't all give right? it all away because I'm, I'm coming up with some, and I'm like, nope, we're going to lock it up. I like it. Yeah. All right, yeah, we'll get to it. But, yes. Before we sign off on this episode, I want to give a shout out to our men's basketball team. Avery Anderson, in particular, named the Big 12 Player of the Week for the first time in his career. He had a game on Saturday, helped upset Iowa State, was it that we played? Iowa State, I think it was. I'm confusing all the games. We've had Bedlam last week in Iowa State. They're playing Texas as we're recording this. Yeah. Uh, but shout out to Avery Anderson. Did you guys watch it all the game at all? No. Uh, no, I didn't get a chance to catch uh, that game. But so, um, yeah, unfortunately, I had to attend a funeral for that. But at the end of the funeral, I tuned into the radio and I heard the last thirty seconds. And I'm glad that I didn't have to watch that whole game because I was on the edge of my seat listening on the radio for the last thirty seconds. And I'm glad we were able to pull it out. But, ooh, excited. Good job, Avery. Killing it. Yeah, very happy for him. I know that, you know, they've had a hard time scoring and they're, they're, they're pulling it together. So I'm just checking the score again. We're recording this on Tuesday. They are trailing Texas 14 to 6, but it's very early in the game. So hopefully by the time this airs. Yeah, they were, they were off to a worse start against Iowa State. So yeah. we, we can come back. We'll be out. Also, for those who are basketball fans, this Saturday. Oh, guys, and crazy, play Ole Miss this Saturday. Weird. Talk about full circle with Spencer. Wow. Sanders. <laughs> Sounds like a mediocre team to me. <laughs> but in all seriousness, this Saturday versus Ole Miss is the Remember the Team 10 game. Remember the 10 game. Tw January 27th marks 22 years since 10 members of the Oklahoma State basketball team were tragically killed in a plane crash. The memorial lobby of the South in the southeast corner of Gallagher Iba will be open one hour prior to the game for those who would like to pay their respects. Tip-off is at 7, and tickets are still available if you are interested. So go remember the 10. We are remembering the 10. Huge tragedy in Oklahoma State history, and I think it's incredible that we continue to honor them every year since that tragic accident. Yeah, 22nd anniversary of Remember the 10. 
Um, you know, if you're a part of the Oklahoma State community, you know that we are no strangers, unfortunately, to tragic situations. So during on this day, I always like to just take time to actually say the names of all 10 people um, that were a part of that um, that tragic incident. So you have Kendall Durfee, you have Bjorn Falstrom, Nathan Fleming, William Hancock III, Daniel P. Lawson Jr., uh, Brian Lewinstra, Devin Denver Mills, Pat Noyes, William Tejans, and Jared Weiberg, um, who are all a part of that incident. And you know, just 10 names that we are going to remember forever um, as a part of Oklahoma State history. So, um, yeah, anybody that can show up, take the time, pay your, uh, your pay homage. And, you know, um, that moment of silence is always something that's special um, during those games. And with that... This concludes another episode of the Believe in OK State podcast presented by Bet Online. Thank you all for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, comment, especially if you think that Ole Miss is a mediocre team so Justin can have some support. Give us a follow. And, of course, go Pokes. Go Pokes. Go Pokes. Go Pokes.